Hey there, this is What the Riff, a podcast that takes you back to riff and reminisce about the days of old, that old time rock and roll. We're going to share a few songs off an album of the month from the 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s with some individual staff picks and a little more. You're going to hear some well-known favorites along with a few deeper cuts that may re-inspire you. If you hear something you haven't heard in a while, or if it's totally new to you, visit our website, whattheriff.com, and you can download these songs to your playlist. We hope you enjoy the riffs and are riffing about them on What the Riff, brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and also Marbury Creative Group, a brand development agency that helps companies tell it better. So for now, enjoy this episode of What the Riff? Nearly 100,000 demonstrators march on Washington, D.C. for the Equal Rights Amendment. The price of gold tops $200 an ounce for the very first time. And the world's first test tube baby is born in the U.K. This is July 1978, and we're What the Rip. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. And we're in July of 1978, and Brian has the album pick of this month. What do you got, Brian? Well, we're hearing a song from The Temptations from 1971, actually, as our lead-in this week. And uh, it's their hit, big hit, Just My Imagination. But wait a minute. We're not featuring R&B songs or R&B albums, are we? Yeah, we'll do it, but uh, right now I think we're still kind of sure rock and roll our Wait a minute now, wait a minute. Let's, 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 let's listen a little bit before we cut into the real feature this week. Nice R&B melody there. Smoky sounding good. Now really, let's jump to where we're really supposed to be. Rob, hit it. Ah, much better. Yeah, this is what the riff material. (laughs) Thank you. Some girls from the Rolling Stones. It's the 14th British and the 16th American studio album. And it was released in June of 78 and exploded to the top of the chart. And as you can hear, this is their cover version of the Temptations' 71 big hit, Just My Imagination. I prefer this. You do? I, I, I'm with you, I Rob. I like both. I like both. Well, but yeah, I, I like to mellow out. Yeah, yeah, mellow out. But I I'm like not ready to mellow out today. <laughs> but uh, you can hear that compared to the Just My Imagination's version of the Temptations, they're talking about, you just heard Mick say of all the girls in New York, but compared to uh, the Temptations, all the girls in the world. So this album really is a focus on New York. So it's not just this song, but a lot of the songs on the album feature, you know, songs about New York. Um, it was a major critical success, becoming the only Rolling Stones album to be nominated for a Grammy in the Album of the Year category, which I did not know. That is interesting, because by this time, what did you say, 16 albums or 14 16, albums? There's 14 British, there's 16 American studio albums. Yeah, because the Rolling Stones were, were a, a phenomenon by now. I think, I'm assuming that by 78, they were already talking about the the big four, you know, the Rolling Stones, the, the Beatles, the, the Who, and Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. as being the, you know, kind of iconic rock groups. Yep. And uh, it's interesting you point that out because um, many reviewers call it a classic return to form and their best album since 1972's Exile on Main Street. So, oh. so by 1976, though, uh, the Rolling Stones' popularity 
uh, was in decline uh, as the charts were dominated, as we've talked about before in other podcasts. This was the time of punk. This was the time of disco. Uh, so rock music uh, was kind of put to the back. And uh, you know, the other bands that you had that were dominating the uh, charts at the time was Aerosmith, Kiss. Uh, so in the UK, the punk rock movement was a rising force and it made most artists connected with the 60s era seem obsolete. So the group uh, had rock also... obsolete? Well, it's very hard for a lot of these groups. There's only a few groups, a handful, that made it from the, the British invasion to the 1970s, especially late 70s. You had the Kinks, you had the Who, you had the Rolling Stones. That was pretty much it. There wasn't anybody else that was coming through there, and, and really, The Who was the one that was the, the big popular group, obviously, with the uh, same time that this album came out, Who's Next came out. Well, The Who kind of had next, that. Who Are You came out, I'm sorry. Yeah, but The Who was had a little bit of a punk influence there, so I can see how they would they would kind of hang in there. You had kind of, The Who were a little punk, a little progressive, so yeah. that would make sense. Well, this is the time, too, during their careers, uh, The Stones, that... Keith Richards just got hooked on heroin, and he just could not get off. I mean, he was in legal trouble in several countries. So Mick Jagger was truly the, the principal creative force uh, behind this album. Um, was Richards missing shows and stuff like that? Well, they were limited because he would, he would be arrested on possession charges, and they would literally be expecting him as soon as he got in the country. He'd be a lot of times arrested at detox. the airport. He would detox, and then they would go on, on tour and then it would just sort of come back into into vogue of taking more drugs, and then that was it, you know. But and then would Mick Jagger say, "What's the matter with you, boy?" <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but uh, you know, he was able to attend recording sessions for the album. But uh, speaking of Jagger, he claimed in a '95 interview to have written a great number of the album's songs, though, you know, and uh, it, including the signature signature song, which we won't feature today. We miss you. Uh, so he was influenced by the punk movement, uh, but he also was influenced by the dance music, most notably, as we mentioned, disco. Uh, so here, that's the end of the first song. The next one that we're going to go to is uh, one of their other big hits off the album, and I'm sure you'll recognize it once it kicks in. There you, you recognize that uh, riff. Uh, this is also the first album that uh, guitarist Ronnie Wood was a full member of the band. So, From the faces. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but Jagger says the inspiration for the record was really based in New York, as we talked about earlier, and the ways of the town. Uh, I think that it gave it an extra spur and hardness. Then, of course, there was the punk thing that had started in 76. Punk and disco were going on at the same time, so it was quite an interesting period. New York and London, too. Paris, there was punk there, but there's a lot of dance music. So Paris and New York had all this Latin dance music, which is really quite wonderful. Much more interesting than the stuff that came afterward. So that's yeah. an interesting perspective from Jagger. Well, the, the Rolling Stones spent some time in Paris, too, mm -hmm. didn't they? Did, were Recording. they living in New York at the time? or, or well, As at I that know time, they, were, they moved out of England because of the taxes. Yeah, right? I knew that. And, knew and they, that. They, they, they said, screw this. And so they did go to Paris first and... and and France, and then they, they were going a lot of Caribbean areas. They would live and just 
just try to avoid the tax rates because they were like 90% and they were going, to oh, hell yeah. with that. Yeah. So with Beast of Burden, this one's now primarily written by Keith Richards. Of course, when you hear the, what do you think of when you hear the, the term Beast of Burden? You think about what? A, an animal. An ox. Yeah. Right. That labors for the benefit of man, as you say, either a, an ox or a horse. Well, Richard or an wrote, ass, <laughs> a, a jawbone. <laughs> uh, but basically, uh, Richards said this was another one where Mick just filled in the verses. But with the Stones, you take a long song, play it a few times, and see if there are any takers. <laughs> sometimes they ignore it. Sometimes they grab it and record it. So a lot of the things that. But this is basically what Keith Richards wrote about him, his problems with heroin and his drug addiction, and he kind of put this, you know, dedicated it to Mick. Oh, saying that's that, interesting. Uh, you know what? I have been a beast of burden on you. I really, you know, I, mm-hmm. and, and so that was kind of his tribute to, to Mick Jagger and all the work that he was doing for the Stones at the time. You can tell the era that we're in because of the falsetto going yeah. on there. Yeah. Very, very beaches, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. The beaches were hot at this time. Saturnite fever had just come out too long before that, and Grease coming out too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you can hear the, the guitar in this song primarily from Ronnie Wood. So, you know, he's using his uh, new uh, new talents with the band. And this is one of the features that they wanted to highlight that with, with Ronnie Wood. So the song was released as the second single off the album. Uh, and it charted to number eight in the U.S. And uh, so... A live version was recorded during their 1981 American tour and was released as a B-side to Going to a Go-Go. Oh, okay. I remember that one. Remember that song? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's when they kind of jumped the shark for me. (laughs) Same time that Happy Days came out and Fonzie jumped the shark while skiing out in California (laughs) in the ocean. That was real, though, When the bad boys of rock and roll are doing disco, I mean... This is a group that you did a song about Lucifer and Goat Head Soup was the title of an album, and here they are doing disco songs. You yeah. know, it's interesting you mentioned that, Wayne, because that is where we get the term Jump the Shark is from exactly. Happy Days. And it's funny that, you know, of all the things in Happy Days, that's that's one of the most memorable things is the, the thing that we most consider, you know, that have uh, brought down the show. Yeah. I mean, it's not like other groups were not doing that. I mean, Kiss had "I Was Made for Loving You" as a direct, you know, disco song, but they were purposely doing it yeah. <laughs> to try to market themselves. And I have to confess, even to this day, if I hear it on, you know, classic rewind or something like that, I have to change it. I can't listen to it. <laughs> so the next song that was uh, we're featured today is a song that. Um, was uh, basically a reflection of their how they, he viewed he being uh, Mick Jagger viewed the life in New York City in the seventies era in New York City, but it also influences uh, he he received you know got influence and some inspiration from the uh, English punk movement uh, during this time. Now I, this is one of my favorite songs off this album. Yes. But you listen to the lyrics, well, you know, I talk about sex and sex. I mean, it was just it was this free love. Actually, sounds like the Kinks a little bit. Yeah, good point. Go ahead, bite the big apple. <laughs> Don't mind the maggots. The maggots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Jagger commented in a Rolling Stones interview that he wrote the lyrics in the back of a New York cab. So most of uh, Richard's Keith Richards' guitar work is a basic rhythmic pattern strumming out of the alternating ton- tonic and dominant chords with each bar. 
utilizing a relatively modest phaser sound effect for some added depth for all you guitar enthusiasts out there. I know some of us are saying, well, what does that mean? I, well, I'm just going to give that to our guitar enthusiasts out there. Uh, I love, I really, I appreciate Keith Richards' riffs more now than I did when he yeah. was mm-hmm. doing them. I, yeah. it, but they're just, I guess because they're just classic, you hear it and you know exactly what's going on. And in this song too, I'm sorry, Bruce, this song features Ronnie Wood playing bass in Bill Wyman's absence. Oh, so I did not know that Bill Wyman was not on this uh, recording wasn't on project. This track. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I was I was gonna kind of tag off of what Rob said uh, earlier that that you know this is I was never a big Stones fan growing up. This this was not my group. Mm-hmm. But you see why they have the staying power. There's there's um the it's not a very complex type of a thing, but the the. The riffs that they use are great. The lyrics that they use are, are, are interesting. And there's a timelessness about it. Well, they started off like a lot of the groups. They started off as a blues band. And then they you know, developed into their own songs. Their first album is just nothing but covers. Um, and then they started writing their own songs. And then Richards and, and Jagger were, the, were in the same breath as, as, as McCarthy and Lennon. Mm-hmm. And they, a lot of people are going, hey, you know, here, here comes um, several songs by them. Paint it black. They were going, what a great, a great, great song. And it's an anthem too. Right now, almost on every single Vietnam movie, it, it's, it's, true, in yeah. that, it's in that so, movie. So what you're saying, Wayne, is that they write the songs that make the whole world sing. Absolutely. <laughs> thank, at that time, thank you, Barry. But one of the <laughs> one of the songs, if you're not a fan. Um, Go listen to Can You Hear Me Knocking? Yeah. Because that started off as a song, and they just kept on hitting record and just let people just, just go full tilt. And it's a long song, but it is a jam song. What's and it called? Can You Hear Me Knocking? That's one of my favorite, if not my favorite, at all time Stone song. Exactly. It is Mine incredible. too. Incredible. We'll have to feature it. Yep. It's a long one, though. <laughs> well, this song is a few seconds left in Shattered, but this song actually made it to number 31 on the Billboard Top 100 for that uh, when it was released. So, all about the, the sights and sounds of New York and his, uh, his impressions thereof. Yeah, 78 in New York wasn't the best of times. No. There was a lot of strip shows and things of that sort. Bite the Big Apple. Uh-huh. <laughs> now that is punk. <laughs> I can hear the Sex well, Pistols doing this, that. You know, you were talking about jam songs. This, I could see this song going on for, you know, 20 minutes. In a concert. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Have them riff off of it. So nice. the, uh, the final cut that we're going to feature today is my favorite by far on this album. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure you recognize it's a, uh, the riff is the sixth track. Uh, off the album, and uh, it made it to number. It was made it as the seventy-third song of the top one hundred greatest Rolling Stones hits of all time. So, <laughs> Mick's talking up there. Yeah, Mick's talk, You know, he heard. He goes. Is that a British Southern accent? Yeah, but he is it is the satire he's trying to do American Southern uh, dialect here thank you Jesus I love this thank you Jesus thank you Lord 
<laughs> so anyway, That's this classic. song was written. They were Jagger and, of course, Keith Richards collaborated uh, on the writing and the composing the song. But basically, they were going through Southern or Bakersfield, California, and the country song. They wanted to hear some country music, so they turned it on to the country uh, stations, and they're all broadcasting black gospel uh, church services. Hmm. So they started listening to it for a while, and it all inspired them to get, um, you know, to the to the lyrics of the song. Uh, and you hear a lot of the pedal steel guitar here for uh, with Ronnie Wood playing there, and uh, the girl with the faraway eyes is an actual person. So of course they don't reveal her name, but that is truly uh, uh, talking about a, a young lady. Now, I'm curious, and I don't know if anybody knows the answer to this. Did this song or any other Rolling Stones, because this is not the only Rolling Stones song that is that takes a country mm-hmm. turn, did any of them make it onto a country station? It doesn't Honky mention... Tonk Woman may have, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's that's probably one. I used yeah, to play Southern Rocket on, on on the radio station, and I would throw in a Rolling Stones, a Honky Tonk Woman, or something like this, on there, just just to kind of just throw to it see what people yeah. would do. I was just it's just one of these things, you know, because different groups, especially if you've got a lot of staying power, you know, they tend to to to. I think explore. Aerosmith. Some there's some Aerosmith songs that play yeah. on uh, country stations here, local. Right. Well, I, and, um, Robert Plant, you know, he's done yeah. a lot of stuff now in the country genre. Um, so I was just curious if uh, if that was something that they ever explored or if anybody ever tried it. Darius Rucker from Hootie and the Blowfish oh, yeah. has gone totally country. Yes, absolutely. I didn't even know that was him. Church of the Sacred Bleeding Heart of Jesus, located somewhere in Los Angeles, California. <laughs> so he said he sent in a request. He's working so hard to be Southern. So I did. <laughs> I, I get the feeling that he's not being very serious. No, complete satire. Perhaps this didn't make the uh, country just, station. You, know, you pray for the girl. You know what kind of eyes she's got. You know what kind of eyes she got. Oh. People don't realize that this was played on the radio. It's it was called album-oriented rock at the time. And they just basically play D cuts like we are doing here. Of course, and it wasn't a top. It wasn't a top forty station or anything like that. I didn't know that's what AOR stood yeah. for. So they literally play more of the album exactly than the hits. Exactly. Wow. And this was uh, this is on the other side of Miss You. So if you bought the the forty five of Miss You, you got this song on the B side. But the, also on top forty was AM. And FM was the album more in the rock. People didn't like to be on right. the FM side because not many people listened to it at, at, in the 70s. Yeah. Once the 80s came, people wanted to have better quality of the music. So they this was a great uh, This was a great pick, Brian. I oh, enjoyed I that. enjoyed doing the research on it. Just and glad I, we didn't play any of the disco versions. Oh, I, I couldn't do that. Uh, this is no. Thanks, Brian. Yes, sir. And at this time, we usually talk about the movies or TV that came out at this time. And guess what? This is the one song. That's right. It was in Animal House. <laughs> and I, I saw this uh, at least two or three times at the movies. This is one of the few I actually went back and 
one. I actually took a girl to it for <laughs> Sweet 16 birthday party. 16? Sweet 16, yeah. She was 16, and I think I was 17. Huh? So and the was movie was? Animal House. Rated. Well, you had to be R. 17. It was over, rated, yeah. Well, 17 and over oh, at the yeah. time, it yeah. It was rated R. <laughs> How did you do that? Anybody else here went to a toga party? Uh, I did in high school, yes. I cannot confirm nor deny that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure the statute of limitations has run out on that quite yet. <laughs> well, in college, it was a, it was a in the late '70s, early '80s, it was a thing, and the girls without the bra showing were the ones that were the popular ones oh, at the party. Oh, I see. <laughs> other out, other uh, movies that came out: Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. The film came out. It premiered. Uh, that was a rather PGs. polarizing uh, movie. Yeah, that was, once again, talk about jumping the shark. I think that's when, when the Bee Gees jumped the shark. And and Peter Frampton. Uh, Hot Lead and Cold Feet. That was a Don Knotts Disney movie. Uh, I he did a that. couple of those. Um, Foul Play, Chevy Chase and Goldie Hawn. That was his big yeah, premiere, was, almost one, other than Caddyshack, but that was his first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he kind of became a TV star yeah. after, I mean, a movie star after right. being on Saturday Night Live. The Swarm was the attack of the Killer Bees. Remember the Killer oh, Bees were yeah. going to take over the world. The Killer Bees. They're still coming. Folks, I think that was, you remember, that was a real thing. People were yeah. actually concerned about Killer Bees coming up from yeah. uh, South America. Whatever happened to them? Oh, they're here, but they're not They're not the swarm that they uh, basically like broadcasted. Movie. Yeah, yeah. The movie was... Yeah. I mean, they've slowly made their way, and they, they're, they're certainly in the southern part of the country. Um, I just remember seeing that movie. I think I must have watched it on TV, but, you know, they run into the car, and they, they've got the windows up and everything, and then they start coming through the air conditioner. Thing, you know? <laughs> I think you're kind of just the vaguely irritated bees. Yes. Well, I, and the, the, the big thing, too, about those who are the bee farmers or the honey farmers were that it doesn't have as sweet-tasting uh, Yeah, it was going to take over the yeah. good bees. So it was not a, as quality of, of a flavor as the non-killer bee. Well, those were the movies. There was a couple other things on Revenge of the Pink Panther and Hooper. But right now, we're going to go to staff picks. And, heck, whose staff pick is this? This would be my staff pick. This is Bruce. And you are listening to Cheap Trick Surrender. Yeah, we're turning it up right now. A little bit, little bit, more, uh, little bit more, uh, more energy here. So this was released as a single in June 1978, and it's originally off of their album Heaven Tonight, which was released in April of 78. Um, it was their third album, and Surrender is the first Cheap Trick single to land on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. So it peaked at 62. This is a great... Oh, yeah. Here comes that chorus. There you go. How many kids always say that their their parents are a little weird? <laughs> well, it, this was considered. So my parents used to. My daughter used to go. I am so embarrassed every time I say something around her and her friends. <laughs> well, it was. It's considered a late seventies teen anthem, and and yeah, you're right, Wayne. It's uh, there's there's always a generation gap. This one is talking about the generation gap between the baby boomers and the World War II generation. Parents. The greatest generation. The greatest generation. That's right. It's kind of interesting because what they're talking about is uh, 
you know, catching things from the uh, from the girls that you are going out with. Oh. So. That's a broad subject. How did you get that It's the first stunt album ever recorded with a 12-string electric bass. Uh, Cheap Trick bassist Tom Peterson invented it. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a, um, you had three strings for, basically the bass has four strings, right? And each, it's kind of like a 12-string guitar where you have two strings for every, uh, every note. The... The 12-string bass has three strings on each. Uh, oh, wow. Ordinarily be a string. So. Wasn't his guitar, like, checkered? Oh, yeah. Now that double-necked? Yeah, they had that. That was a little bit later on. But okay. This was, a, this was more of a traditional-looking oh, gotcha. piece. Yeah. This appeared on their live album, Cheap Trick at Budokan, which was recorded in April of 1978. It didn't actually come out That was their big breakout. I mean, I mean live yeah. at Budokan, it was like... Okay, why were they in Japan? But obviously they were they were big yep. in Japan like listen, Final Tap. Listen was. to this lyric. Got my kiss records out. So they did a little bit of a a little bit of a, a, a tribute to uh, to Kiss there. It was of course huge at the time. Yeah, they were the the big. You're right, and Wayne. The big breakthrough album was uh, was Cheap Trick at Budokan. They did a lot of these songs where they played uh, the song live before it was recorded. So the Budokan was recorded in April of '78. This didn't come out as a studio album. Uh, Heaven Tonight wasn't released until June, and then um, of course the live album uh, came out in uh, later in '78 in Japan, and then February '79 in the U.S. Yeah, this is just a great. This has got a lot of energy. I saw them last year. They played this. This was by far the one that most people participated in. Oh, <laughs> in the yeah. Audience, I can see hands it. up in the air, just yelling. It's awesome. <laughs> they're solid. They've got a lot of energy. It's a. They're a great group. A little punkish there, a little bit. A little oh, bit, yeah. So that's my pick, Cheap Trick. Well, thank you, Bruce. Uh, we're still rocking and rolling, and we're now going to be going to another song in 1978 in, in July. And all right, Rob, what you got? I thought when I was a younger man that this was ELO. Certainly sounds like it. Yeah. But this band was formed in London in 1968. They achieved their first hit in 1971. Then in 73, they had the Ballroom Blitz. 75, they had Fox on the Run. And this was their last top 10 hit in 1978. Love is like oxygen. This is the sweet I like the, uh, the the way this sounds. I had actually picked this up again, probably, it was in, obviously in July of 78, but then we ended up, um, I think I came across it probably in uh, 2005 somehow, it just came up on my playlist, mm-hmm. and uh, 
I was like, this reminds me a lot of that time period. Yeah. So takes you back. It does. Takes you back. Doesn't get a whole lot of airplay. This was uh, this was one. I, actually, I remember this in middle school because I remember uh, some folks uh, singing that. Generally speaking, the folks that would uh, pick up songs like this were ones that had older brothers or sisters that were in high school or college. Yeah, we I staff picked uh, the suite earlier on. One. Yeah, Fox you did on Fox the on the Run. Yeah, and what's interesting about this, we talked about AM and FM. Um, there was an AM edit of this for a top 40. So they, they cut a lot of this middle part out. To make it shorter. And make it shorter, yeah. So the, the, especially the, at the tail end of this the, this song, it was, it, was, it was truncated to be able to fit on a top 40 format. But I remember listening, obviously, into the... Into the um, AOR uh, FM format. Yeah, yeah. I love the the keyboard solo in the middle. Yeah, and that's that's that unfortunately gets edited out. Right. They were classified as a British glam rock. Yeah, band. I can see that. I can see that, especially then when you uh, look at some of their other songs, the uh, Ballroom Blitz. That's definitely a glam rock sound, isn't it? Yeah, and I I I like the. Um, Yeah, I like I like the way that um, that uh, the riff goes mm-hmm. on the guitar as well. Of course, yeah. this is iconic. That good guitar sound off in the distance. Yep. Yeah. And then and then when they started up again, down, 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 down. Yep. Nice. Andy Scott was their guitarist, and that's just. It's interesting because that's kind of rocking. The other part's a little soft, so it's got an interesting blend of soft and right. rock. It does. It does. And the lyrics are really interesting. Love is like oxygen, and you know, if you literally, if you get too much oxygen, you get too high. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was reading up a little bit on on different things about oxygen, and it's it's kind of it's it's a dangerous thing if you don't treat it correctly. So anyway, like love, excellent, <laughs> <laughs> excellent choice. Now we're going to Funky But Chic, I think yeah. is how we say that. And this is Wayne's yeah, pick. Um, this is David Johansson. Um, you may not know him. Um, he, he's actually better known for actually two different group, groups he was with or, or personalities. First, he was with the New York Dolls. Um, they were sort of a transvestite. They dressed as women. Uh, back in that glam age, they, you know, with you know, you had Brian Eno and, and David Bowie and T, us, yeah. Yeah, T-Rex. They just were trying to push it to that edge. And I've got one of those albums I actually kind of highlighted for us to do later. But, um, he, he broke off from the group and decided to go out on his own. And this is actually his, his top hit on that. Um, the New York Dolls were considered a, a pre-punk, proto-punk uh, rock group. Um, before punk, um, but David Johansson decided to back out of that, and he liked different types of music. So, so this one actually kind of grooves, and but he's actually better known as Buster Poindexter. All right, there we go. Oh, there we go. Hot, 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 hot was the uh, was the song he was back in the eighties. He was on Saturday Night Live. He's the band director on on Saturday Night Live. So. So he, it, it just he evolved. And, um, now, now Wayne, just back up a second. Was he the the full time band director on? I Saturday think he was Night just Night? on there 
quite a bit. I, okay. I, I don't remember. I just know he was on Saturday Night Live quite a bit when, okay. I, was, when I was there. He just um, he's, he said he got that name. He just came up with that name because um, people used to call him Poindexter when he was in school because he was reading a lot of books and. And neighbors used to call him, hey, Buster, get out of my yard and everything because he'd cut through people's yards. And so he just sort of came together as Buster Poindexter. Um, you might know him. Anybody know him as an actor? I, I recognize. I know that he did some acting. You remember Scrooge, the taxi driver? Yes. That's yes. him. Okay. He's uh. been in several. He's been in bit parks, you know, Free okay. Jack, Tales from the Dark Side. Um, where Car 54, where are you? But um, this was the um, first song off of his first solo album, so a first kind of release. You know, it, it got some airplay. It, it, it did hit the charts a little bit, but it wasn't, you know, something that came out. But the reason why he came up with the Buster Poindexter, because he wanted to do more varieties of, of songs. So he wanted to have another different uh, personality. personality to be able to do that, because so he can do, you know, Somehow he sounds a little bit like Mick Jagger when Mick Jagger does kind of his more of his yelling singing yeah. a little bit. This just jams. And speaking of jam, um, we're gonna kind of do some things. Music in 19 July of 1978. Uh, the first Texas jam was held over the July 4th weekend at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. You get a load of this lineup. On just on the first day, Ted Nugent, Aerosmith, Rush, Heart, Journey, Head East, Atlanta Rhythm Section, Eddie Money, Van Hader, Halen, and Walter Egan. I mean, that was on the first day. This is in July in Dallas? Yeah. 1978. That would have been hot as hell. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. why I say, is this a concert from hell? <laughs> Of course, some of these groups are just started out. Eddie Money and Van Halen, that was, you know, really earlier in the career. What a lineup. I yeah. did hear an audio yeah. clip uh, from Van Halen's uh, three or four songs, whatever they did, and the place erupted. Uh, they were just, you know, like you no said. No pun intended. Just, well, yeah, <laughs> eruption, yeah. But that, when uh, Eddie hit the, the, you know, the eruption uh, chords, yeah, they tore it up. But that was my pick. That was Wayne. And now we're going to the last person for our pick, and that's Brian. Yes. What you got, Brian? Uh, one of my favorite all-time songs from the 70s, if not of all time. Jerry Rafferty, formerly of the group Steeler's Wheel. Uh, he wrote this song on his City to City solo album, uh, written by, of course, Scottish singer-songwriter Jerry Rafferty. It was released as a single in 70, of course, June of 78. It hit the charts. It reached number one in Cashbox and number two on the Billboard Hot 100, where it held that position for six weeks. And, and Brian, I may be mistaken, but I think that's a sax in there. Well, you know I can't turn down a sax. <laughs> that's all he ever thinks about is sax. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I wish I had a rim shot. I'd give it to you. <laughs> but anyway, this, here, here this, we can really throw it back here. This song finished number two on the billboard behind, drum roll, Andy Gibbs' Shadow Dancing. <laughs> and Miss You by the Rolling Stones was number three behind that. There you go. So anyway. Huh? You know the misheard lyrics? I always thought that he said, shout out and sing. 
instead of shadow dancing. I never, I, I didn't know that's the name of the song, but I thought he was singing shout out and sing. I like that version better, Rob. <laughs> anyway, it finished number one in Canada, number three in the UK, number one in Australia, number one in South Africa, and in the top ten in the Netherlands. I mean, it truly was a global sensation, global hit. Uh, so, of course, the song is called Baker Street, and it's named through because it is a street in London called Baker Street. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, we, there were so many legal problems around the breakup of Steeler's Wheel. So none of the artists could do anything. You want to tell everybody what Steeler's Wheel's favorite, most known song is? Of course, it's stuck in the middle with Wayne. I mean, with you. Uh, <laughs> oh, Clowns to the right. I didn't know that. Clowns Joke. to the left of yeah. me, Jokers to the right. Oh. Here I am, stuck in the middle with Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> No, but anyway, you're right, Wayne. That is their big hit. And uh, but anyway, there's a three-year legal battle, a three-year legal battle. Excuse me, battle. That too. And uh, so finally, in the during that three-year period, uh, Rafferty had been unable to release any material because of the disputes of the band's remaining contractual recording obligations. So he wrote the song during a period when he was trying to extricate himself from the Steelers' real contracts, and he was regularly traveling between his family home in Paisley. In London, and he often stayed at a friend's flat on Baker Street. Baker Street. Ah. So, as he put it, everybody was suing each other. So, I spent a lot of time on the overnight uh, train from Glasgow to London and for, with, for meetings with lawyers. And I knew a guy who lived in a little flat off Baker Street. So, what you you're hearing in the lyrics is what he sees from Baker Street. And he knew a guy that lived there. And so, we'd sit or chat or play guitar there through the whole night. And then privately, though, unfortunately, as we can recall a few years back, uh, he died of liver uh, disease because he is, was a very heavy drinker. Uh, and so, you know, when he, you hear the lyric in the song, light in your head and dead on your feet, well, he's referring uh, to his drinking problem. He's and, also... Uh, he's the Rolling Stone. Yeah. Had that uh, had that line about uh, going to give up the booze and the one-night stand. You know, I thought Good. that was... Yeah. It's kind of melancholy. So after the the resolution of uh, Rafferty's legal and financial frustrations, it was Kinky kind of ref- talked about that in the exhilaration of the song's last verse. When you wake up, it's a new morning. And you just, we just heard that. When you wake up, it's a new morning. The sun is shining. It's a new morning. You're going home. So that's kind of the exhilaration that he was referring to about having all of his legal problems finally resolved. Well, this song is iconic for the sex, but... To me, this is one of those nice, good yacht rock songs that has probably one of the classic slow guitar solos in this, and it's about ready to be hit in a second. And I just love the hell of it. That's the one I just kind of like take my. Well, speaking of guard, it's coming right up here, sir. Go ahead. Well, I, I, I usually take. A, we used to, you know, shadow play guitar, whatever, basically. A little air guitar uh, there. Yeah, air, air guitar. guitar. Not have a Wayne had a racket, shadow guitar. <laughs> a tennis racket, and you kind of pretend like you're actually playing You'd be on shadow it dancing and, with and, the air guitar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I just love this part. Here you go. Go, Wayne. Ladies and gentlemen, if we had a camera, you could see him playing his tennis racket. <laughs> That's okay. You're not... <laughs> Yeah, not really missing much. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as you can hear, though, throughout the song, the impact of the saxophone being played in the song basically is referred to as the the Baker Street phenomenon. Huh. 
after this song was released, tenor and uh, tenor and baritone saxophone sales exploded uh, in the, not only the UK but in the US. Then we got uh, Kenny G. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. So it was truly called the Baker Street Phenomenon. I actually started playing the saxophone in July of 19, uh, September of 1978 in the band. There you go. Floyd Middle School. You were part of the Baker Street Phenomenon. I, I didn't even know about it. I didn't even know it. So it's actually awesome it, pick. Yeah, actually, it was the soprano and the alto sax. But anyway, it, 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 it basically spurred a lot of uh, saxophone pieces in pop music as well as advertising on yeah. television. So Thanks, Brian. Oh, my pleasure. Clarence Carter also was one of those saxophone players we, for the East We got to close out with our laugh last track. Thing, if you bought my yeah. album and you came okay. down here expecting me to That's do a Steve lot of Martin. routines from the record and I didn't do them, maybe one or two, there's a reason for that. I think performers have to move on. You just can't do the same old material over and over and over. And it's kind of a cheat, I think. To <laughs> it's hard to imagine that he was that way with today. He's, he's a comic actor, but nothing like me, what he used to do. Well, excuse <laughs> me! <laughs> And yes, that was the theme song of 1978. I think everybody said that quite a bit. I did that all the time myself. I said it once to my mom. Once. (laughs) (laughs) Never did it again. Slap upside the head. Or did you get pinched? Pinching. That was was the one that hurt worse than getting spanked. I always got, wait till till your father gets home. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But this is actually not a comedy routine. This is called song. King Tut. <laughs> Made famous by his uh, performance on Saturday, Saturday Night, Night Live. Now, this is actually the backup group is called the Two Uncommons. It's actually members of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Oh. It sold over a million copies. As a single. I remember his moves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Bengals tried, but well, they, were, they failed miserably, didn't they? Yes. This came out at the same time as the, the tour of the Tutankhamun exhibit. Exactly. It, came, right? it, came, out, it came out towards seven CDs uh, from 76 to 79. So, yeah, uh-huh. that was a big deal. It came back again, I want to say, in the early 2000s. Because I, I actually went and saw it then. It was, it was here in Atlanta at that time. It was actually pretty cool. wasn't as impressive as go. I thought it would be. <laughs> I did not know that he was born in Arizona. I didn't either. Well, that's because he moved to Babylonia. He's doing all the voices. I want to hear the pr- correct pronunciation of the name again from Bruce. That would be Tutankhamun. Still can't say it. <laughs> That's close enough for that. But, yeah, this was on Saturday Night Live. It came out, and it was supposedly one of the most expensive productions that they put on. Because, really? Yeah, they had, they had uh, tried to the Egyptian The relics and everything? Yeah, exactly. And um, at the time, they were, uh, you know, Saturday Night Live was, was really catching on, but I'll bet they didn't have a whole lot of money. It's not like today where they right. do whatever they well, want. Well, Steve Martin helped that. He was one of the first comedians that just really blew up on Saturday Night Live. Right. I think to this day he is still the most frequent host 
Uh, he he's up there with he, Alec Baldwin, uh, Tom Hanks. There's a bunch of them that rank up there as the and top. And the funny thing is, when you're gray-haired, really young, you yeah. kind of look the Got same for the next 40 years. That's right. That's right. That's a great right. pick, man. Thank you. Well, this has been What the Riff. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. Enjoy July 1978. You've been listening to What the Riff? We hope you enjoyed riffing with us, and we invite you to visit whattheriff.com to find and download the music we had on tap today. You can also contact us and request an album that you'd like us to riff about at whattheriff.com. And if you get a minute, like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. Links are available on our website. Thanks for listening to What the Riff? Brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. Also, Marbury Creative Group. Tell it better. If necessary, use words.